welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years experience of mental health, disability and human behaviour. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast. So I'm Dr. Tara Quinchirillo, and today I am really thrilled to have with me Nicola Chan, who is a body confidence coach. And I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about what she does. Thank you for having me. So I'm Nicola Chan and I'm a body confidence coach. Um, it's been a long journey to get me to that title. And I think it was really in lockdown, actually, that I decided to label myself a body confidence coach. So with that being the title, I still help people with fitness. I've been a personal trainer for 16 years and I've also uh, qualified as NLP. So I'm an NLP master practitioner. So I have the body and the mind, but really because of my own journey and how I've transitioned over the years to be body confident, it's become who I am now and the people that I'm really passionate about helping. Yes. And that's, I think I was so inspired about your journey is because you've had multiple types of adversity thrown your way, haven't you? Um, And you've used that to kind of craft what you do, but also to then use that to help other people and body confidence. I don't think we talk about that enough. I don't think it's covered enough in the media that so many people struggle with body image, body confidence. Um, And that's why I was really excited when you agreed to come on today. Are you comfortable telling us a little bit about your past? Because I know that's quite a, a significant part of what drew you into what you do now. Yeah, I mean, it is a difficult one to put into a timeline. But if I start with me starting in the fitness industry, so I got into fitness like most people to help other people. And I thought being a fitness instructor, it will help me as well because I'll be motivated to teach. It'll be something that I do for my job. So I'm earning money and I, I never really have to then motivate myself. And it will hold me accountable to doing all the things I need to do to stay as fit as possible. But In the fitness industry, all the messaging that I received from day one was very body image focused, that I am my brand, I need to look a certain way, I need to lead by example. And so being a type A character, like all or nothing thinker, and very strong willed and strong minded, I wanted to be the best. And I took all of that information in and thought, you know, I need to run the fastest, jump the highest, I need to look the best. And although I actually had very low self-esteem, and a lot of that grew in the fitness industry, because being in front of people, you obviously grow in confidence. Yes. But the confidence that I gained was very much, again, about aesthetics. And then I also had to fill those boots that I then made. So where people said I was like a robot, and I was, you know, really good at all the fitness stuff, I then had to continue to achieve that and over time as I was doing more and more of it because it was never enough because the line of perfection always moves you want to be fitter thinner stronger whatever the next phase is in the fitness industry I wanted to be that I then had to uphold those standards that I was really putting on myself Yes. It's so interesting, isn't it? So I've, I've had a um, personal trainer on who specializes in people that are going through and have gone through cancer. Um, and body image is something we started to touch on, but I really wanted to cover it more, which is why I was really thrilled when you agreed to come on and talk about it. But what's really interesting is that 
you're really good at sharing your own personal journey. And as a psychologist, I do think it can really help people to know that someone has lived experience that you're working with. And I guess I'm just thinking, you know, in terms, terms of the kind of clients that you see, whether that's something you find helpful, being able to share that story, encouraging oh, yeah. them to be comfortable in being 100%. vulnerable. Yeah. In a way, I think, and I've learned recently that my vulnerability is my strength. Yes. And actually yeah. me being the one to go first opens up the door for them to follow. Yeah. So because I am quite vulnerable and authentic, so I share everything as it is. I'm yes. not trying to pretend I've reached a destination, the goal, it's all perfect. I tell people the bumps along the way, people then are more likely to open up to me. Yeah. And it's so interesting, isn't it? That um, I was talking uh, with someone recently about when you look at images on the internet and at the moment we get a lot of news resolutions. It's January, isn't it? A lot of people will then go towards fitness for New Year's resolution. So it's actually a really good time for us to have recorded this, even though we planned it yeah. a long time ago. Um, and it's so interesting, just as a psychologist, as a woman, all of the images that you see for personal trainers, for fitness, when you're thinking about maybe your goals for the year, people have a certain look. There's a certain brand, isn't there? And actually, sometimes that can be quite intimidating. So I guess it was something we could come on to talk about is, you know, what your thoughts are on, you know, mm. being a personal trainer by background, but also now a body confidence coach is how you help people to kind of break that mold to know that it's well, it okay interesting because when people ask me what it is that I do although I tell them I'm a body confidence coach yeah. when I tell them that I am a personal trainer they immediately look me up and down as if I qualify as a trainer yes. by the way that I look absolutely yeah and how do you deal with that is there anything you do when you notice that um well I currently fit the picture of a personal trainer like I have a, a thin sized body I fit society's mold of what that looks like I've got muscles and people quite often comment on my body but I am very aware you know you can be a personal trainer at any body size and I because I don't diet or anything I allow my body to show up as it is so sometimes it's bigger sometimes it's smaller but on the whole my body has always fitted the the standards of society Yes. So I do talk about that. There is a thin privilege, if you like. You know, society is made for me. I can get clothes wherever I go. I can fit any seat. Yes. I can get in and out of the tube easily. And it's not the same for everyone else. So although I look that way and in a way that advantaged me, people listening to me, I can then speak for the other people who don't necessarily get listened to. And one of the things that I've kind of read up about your journey is that you have a history of on and off relationship with your own body and how it's changed is that something you're comfortable talking about into kind of what led you to being a body confidence coach in the first place yeah so as I said all of those pressures that I experienced from the fitness industry I wanted to be the best I was also very competitive and there was a, a girl that I became very good friends with yes. from day one on my course and we were always competing to do the best get the best um, level right. in our qualification and run the furthest and so in a way that was quite negative I didn't realize that both of us were suffering with disordered eating Right. And there are obviously in the DCIM medical book, there are lines that qualify an eating disorder. But there are a lot of people who don't fit that category who live outside of it, i.e. with disordered eating. And you can sway in and out of either. But unfortunately, you don't get the help you need unless you fit the category of an eating disorder. And so for me, because the eating disorder that I had was non-purging bulimia, a lot of the behaviours that go along with that eating disorder 
look like normal behaviors in the fitness industry. There's a lot of memes. There's a lot of quotes. There's a lot of yes. things on social media that tell you when you eat this, you need to do this exercise to work it off. You know, calories in, calories out. And so because I wasn't purging by way of vomiting, I was using exercise. It seemed normal. It's yes. applauded by society. You've eaten that. You feel guilty. You should work it off. So interesting, isn't it? So for our listeners, so obviously as a psychologist, I have kind of insight into this as well there may be someone literally sitting now on a train listening to this podcast that might not realize what disordered eating is and what it looks like and it may be something they're engaging in is that something you can tell us a little bit more about what that might look like for people because it is interesting in terms of how then you're able to get help for it yeah I think it's very different for everyone it's a bit like addiction you couldn't really say that there's the line yes. and you've now gone over the line I think it's when it becomes a problem in your life because yes. we all have habits and behaviors and they can change from one thing to another and you know we're, we're all human um but I think because for me like I stopped having periods so that's a telltale sign but also that's one of the things that in the industry is kind of applauded because it's like something that happens when you're an athlete so in right. a way it was looked at like, this is fine, but I didn't realize there was consequences to that. Like as a woman who's going to grow old, hopefully, you know, I want my bones to be strong. I don't want to get osteoporosis, but having experience of no periods at a younger age, I might start getting those consequences now. Right. Having hair falling out, feeling very stressed. My body's constantly in a state of stress yes. in my sympathetic nervous system. I'm trying to sleep, but because I'm not getting enough food in my body I'm dreaming about food my teeth are nattering away at night like there's a lot of consequences that happen even just in that disordered eating phase that wouldn't be considered normal and that kind of I guess being able to pick up on it and that's why I thought it was really great to have you on you know the, the idea of this podcast is even if just one or two people listening are able to kind of go ah do you know what that might be me and therefore you know how you can perhaps you know what support is available so it's so interesting as you say and quite often when we get into what we call diagnostics do we meet these criteria if you go into your GP is there support for people with disorders eating if well this is one of the reasons I wanted to become a body confidence coach because I wanted to bridge that gap between yeah. the people that need help and the medical professions. Yes. Because even myself, I took myself to the doctors and this was after quite some time. And even as an adult, I went with my mum. I felt so ashamed of my really? behaviours because obviously overeating, like binge eating, under eating, um, all the over exercise that I was trying to hide from people going from different gyms moving around I knew that right. it was a problem but it was something I felt so much shame and guilt around because yes. I am this instructor I've got that hat on and people were saying I want to look like you I want to eat like you what do you do and so I felt like an absolute fraud so to then go to the doctors and be completely vulnerable and say I think I've got a problem you know I expected them to help me straight away but actually the first thing they did was put me on the scales and because I was a normal weight, they said, you're making it up in your head. Right. So that was an awful experience. And obviously, if anyone, yeah. yeah, if anyone's listening and they get that similar approach, absolutely go and find another GP. Like at the time, I wasn't having periods either. And they didn't seem to care about that. It just was the fact that I was a normal weight. And there was a lot of weight stigma in the medical profession and the world. Yeah. So it's so interesting. If they're using certain benchmarks... Yeah. presumably because you know they've been trained and they're using yeah. diagnostic criteria that how many people must be in between and and so it's so interesting so many points I wanted to pick up on there but um shame and guilt that's something we can come back to, to talk mm -hmm. about as well that actually especially if you're in a profession where there are these you know preconceptions or you know people are appraising how you look how you behave how then 
that adds to guilt and shame if you're doing behaviors or trying to do covert behaviors. So it's so interesting you're saying you, you went to lengths such as trying to go to different gyms so that people wouldn't presumably monitor how frequently you were going yeah. or how Which intense. Which is so strange because obviously I wasn't consciously aware of it, even yes. though it was a behavior I chose to do. So some part of me must have known that's probably a bit too much exercise. Yes, yes. I could so give one bit of advice, but for me, because I had these high standards for myself, I had to do something different. Yeah. So how many people might be, so as a psychologist, I come across that a lot where actually we might be doing things, but we're not really consciously aware of it. But on some level, we know what we're doing and that behavior is reflective of perhaps some anxiety or fear of judgment, appraisal. Um, and how those two things go together, that sometimes when we experience guilt and shame is something we tend to think of as a more globalized concept, guilt tends to be kind of associated with individual situations. But if you're repeatedly in a situation, sometimes then shame can develop and then what can happen is you can get a bit of a vicious cycle then between certain behaviors that you do that then you try and hide and I'm just wondering you know at what point are people supported to know look I'm in this cycle you know of doing these behaviors trying to hide it Um, and what a huge brave step to be able to go to the GP but to be okay with taking someone with you as well I think if anyone listening is there going actually do you know what sometimes the biggest step we can take is to be vulnerable and share that with people just have to ask for help yes yeah this or it could be another topic but when it's got to that point and you need to get outside of your own brain you need to ask for help yeah and what did you get because you have such an interesting background you've been through so much and I'm just wondering at any point with the support that you did get did anybody kind of look at your history of kind of lowered self-esteem you know how that might have impacted body image how that then may have impacted your behavior and kept that cycle going were you offered support with that no, to be honest, the the actual help that I did get was for infertility. Right. And when I went to a new doctor and said to them about my periods, they actually listened to that and said, we need to deal with your eating disorder that is causing that. Right. And I was like, yeah. oh, I didn't realize I had an eating disorder. And then the, the help that I had was CBT. So it was very much behavioral focused for the now moment. Yes. And although yeah. it did help me with assertiveness. And the way that I was in my job and my role as a mother, because I was a a young mum as well. I had a daughter at 16. So I struggled having low self-esteem and being a mum and being able to be assertive. Um, So it helped me with all of those things, but it didn't really address anything that had happened in the past. And it's only really my own journey where all the layers have kind of peeled off over time that I've realised that probably being 14 years old and experiencing sexual assault and rape, I then that probably contributed to my you know low self esteem and then this control factor because i think with a lot of people there's you know a number of things that contribute to an eating disorder but quite a lot of the time there is low self esteem there is an element of control you're out of control somewhere else in your life and controlling your food gives you that feeling that you have control yeah and then sometimes there's that cycle then that you want more of that and what's really interesting is that as you've gone through your career and i know cuz you've run marathons you ran a marathon soon after giving birth didn't you and yeah what I really loved about reading your story is how honest you've been about the little roadblocks you found along the way you know things that you've had to tweak and revise is that something you're comfortable sharing with us because that kind of latter part of your journey of looking at body image and you know your relationship with running marathons the values and, and goals behind doing it I thought was really interesting it would be really interesting for listeners to hear well, my experience of running the marathon, it actually took me quite a few years to run it and it impacted me so much. I got a tattoo <laughs> around my arm of right. running footprints 
Um, and it says that it's easier to go down a hill, but the view is much better at the top because yeah. it was an additional challenge because I didn't realize I had the eating disorder. So obviously those behaviors that are applauded by society, you know, you eat food, yes. you exercise it off. Yeah. At some point your body stops working. So you need to do more. And it was actually that that caused me to run a marathon because running seemed to be the best thing to burn all the calories. And so when 10 miles wasn't enough, it was 12 miles and then so on. And so I started running, you know, races, 10 mile race, half marathon. And then I thought I'll do a full marathon, but somewhere between half a marathon and a full marathon because of my eating habits and the overexercise, I just kept getting injured, injuries. And so it actually took three years to run the marathon the third year that I was supposed to run, I actually did fall pregnant. And I think the rest that I had through being pregnant, although I still exercised, but I was very much looking after myself, Yeah, which is another interesting point that I obviously loved my baby and cared for my baby that I did all the things I needed to for her. But obviously, as soon as she was out, my self-love was low. And so I wanted yes. to punish myself again by getting my body back, run, go straight into running. And then, you know, nine months later, I was able to run the marathon. I think it's really inspiring, if that's all right, to say that you're so good and on your website you're really congruent with sharing just what you've been through, but how you've allowed yourself to keep checking in with what's going on. So some people might have been through adversity, they might get some support to kind of manage, process what they've been through, but then their journey might be quite static. But one of the things that's really struck me about you is that you're continually revising and that's how it comes across when we when we read your story, you know, what is working for you, what's not, what your roadblocks are, where you are psychologically. And I think that's really interesting in itself. And I'm just thinking, is that kind of part of who you are? Have you had support to do that? Is it just think- accidental that you, <laughs> you honest, do that? I think I was born this way. <laughs> I mean Ever since I was a child, I was journaling yes. and I didn't know yeah. what journaling was, but I just used to write stuff down. And I always thought that one day this will go in my book. Yeah. And so I have, I've, I've written a book and there's another book in me, which is the collection of all the journals. Um, I don't know when I'm going to write that book, but I want to get the other book published first. Um, but yeah, I've always kind of been obsessed with personal development, just yeah. being better. And maybe that came from low self-esteem. Maybe it's that need to prove myself. But either way, it's kind of served me up till now. And I think, you know, as you know better, you do better. And so, like you said, you can quite easily see from my journey that at the time, that's what I thought was the best thing. Like when I was a fitness person, I was putting people on diets or trying to sell shakes. That's what I thought was good at the time. And when I knew better, I then was open about it, told everybody on social media, my mindset has changed and therefore I want to teach you different ways. Because actually when I transitioned to become a body confidence coach, people said to me, your industry's basically your job's going to die. You know, you've got people that come to you because they want to lose weight. You're going to lose all of your clients and you're not going to get any more. Who wants body positivity? Everybody wants a quick fix. They want a 12 week program with a new body at the end of it and a a photo shoot. How interesting. But what did you find? I knew better. I'm, I've always been true to my values and I feel like it's not ethical to do what, you know, I can't go back to that now that I know that it's really unhealthy. All the things I've been through, I cannot do that to somebody else. I want everyone to know my journey and hopefully people will come along with me for the long run. Yes. And actually it's consistency over time for someone to be healthy. It's not the extremes of highs and lows. It's actually staying fit for life. Yes. 
it, do you know what came across to me about your work is that in psychology, you know, sometimes you can have kind of quick fix therapies, you know, short course for anxiety, or, you know, you might use some shorter term interventions, but for some people, they need more of a core shift. Um, and when we kind of add that model to this time of year, January, you know, what do we want? Why do we do news resolutions? We want quick fixes. We want the buzz of doing well, don't we? We want to see the scales moving if you want to lose weight. We want to see the fitness tracker tell us we've run so many miles and that we're increasing. There it is. That's what gives us that dopamine here, isn't it? Mm. But actually your work, and, and I think it's really brave, isn't it, to kind of go against the grain, but how wonderful to be able to go with your values and go, actually, what is it about being a body confidence coach that then helps people have a core shift? Because you say that relationship with your body, we could all probably at some point follow an eight week course and do, but it's how many people then find that eight months, nine months later, their weight's increasing again, or they've always got to be doing these quick fixes. And is it all right to ask them, you know, what is it that you do? So if someone hasn't heard of a body confidence coach before, how can we let them know what that is and how they can have more of a core shift in their relationship with themselves, their health, their well-being. Mm. Well, as I said, I call myself a body confidence coach. I'm sure other people do as well and they may have different ways that they work with people. But because of my background in the fitness industry, I still help people with fitness and their physical body. So there's two ways people can work with me or they could do both, but generally they do one or the other. One would be fitness. So it's the, the standard fitness stuff, personal training. But obviously, because I talk to them in a body positive way, we don't talk about burning calories, going hard, going home. We're very much more listen to your body, be happy and confident in who you are right now. If your body changes, great. If it doesn't, great. It's about learning that your body will always change. So even if you fit the beauty standards today, you may not in 10 years time. You know, or the standard might change actually. So you might fit it now, but then some new celebrity comes in with a different body and you may not achieve that body because yeah. it may not be your genetics. Yeah. So it's, it's having that awareness and understanding so that you realize you are a human being who is worthy of love, um, whatever it is you want to achieve in life, being confident that you can go and achieve that regardless of your body. Because the quick fix module is I'll be happy when. Yes. You no, know, I will do this when. Or I won't even wear a bikini until I've got that body. Whereas you deserve to wear a bikini now, no matter what body you're in. I love that. It's almost fair. I do a lot of um, acceptance and commitment therapy and we try and support patients to look at the difference between goals and values. And there may be some things in life where goals are helpful, but I always think sometimes when people struggle, and particularly I always use that example of joining the gym in January, that it might be that the, the kind of value you're not tapping into. Why do you want to go to the gym? For some people, they may drop off the gym and it's because the gym's not for them. Maybe they want to do running or they want to walk outdoors. And what's the value behind it? And it sounds actually that your work is quite similar then, that there's a value there about what you like about yourself and yeah. then maybe What's some goals yes absolutely mm. and that I love because I've seen a, a couple of posts recently actually in social media um exact saying exactly that actually that you know about loving your body being you know true to yourself and that you may then have goals there may be things you may have a family history of diabetes and you think actually maybe I want to improve my fitness for that reason Mm. or maybe there is you know I want to be able to run around and keep up with my kids and if you know I've got mobility issues visible yes absolutely so I guess for people you know coming to you and in terms of what they get from you it sounds like you also spend time kind of talking about them and is that where because you've now branched out haven't you into NLP and it, you know is part of what 
their journey with you would be around kind of talking about themselves and getting comfortable yeah talking I mean, to you about themselves quite personal personal training yes. and even before yeah before I did coaching I yeah. felt like I was a counsellor yeah without the qualification so I had people crying at me something about being yes. present in your body can bring up all your emotions especially if you're really busy rushing around you're always in your head that Absolutely. moment you take to actually move your body it all starts coming up yes. and because you're one-to-one you get to know someone like intimately they start sharing it with you because they trust you yes so it was and that guess, really that inspired yeah. me to become an NLP coach yeah because I guess you have to be quite vulnerable sometimes don't you to do personal training to have you know sometimes for some people they do struggle with you know proximity to other human beings so having someone working with you you know looking at your body talking about what you want what you don't want you have to have a certain level of vulnerability don't you to be able to start those conversations and you learn a lot about people as well yeah I imagine you do and and I guess you know if somebody's listening now and thinking you know that already some of this stuff resonates what do you think might be useful for them about seeing maybe someone who works with body confidence rather than just personal training just goal focused I would definitely recommend a a body positive personal trainer someone that understands health at every size when I say health at every size there is a community which comes from a book by Linda Bacon right um, and it is about the BMI um, how it was made up there's a lot of research and science in the book so I wouldn't want to do it an injustice by trying to explain it but I would recommend anyone read that book so there are some health professionals who have read that book and they have a very different approach to health and fitness. It doesn't include weight because yes. you can be healthy yeah. at any weight as you can also have an eating disorder at any weight. Yes. So if we remove the weight, we can actually deal with the issue. Yeah. And we can also improve the person. So like with fitness, you could improve how much you're lifting. You know, you could try a sport, you could try dance. You can just move your body that doesn't even, you don't have to use the word fitness. It could just be movement. Whatever you find fun, enjoyable, creative, you can express yourself. That's what's beautiful about fitness. So there was that time that I transitioned to body confidence. And previously, I'd used fitness uh, in a bodybuilding way. Right. And so I had a moment in the gym where I just cried my eyes out. And I thought, what am I doing this exercise for? It was just like a back row, for example. And I thought to myself, I used to do this to build the muscles in my back. If I'm no longer doing that for aesthetics, why am I doing this? Yeah. And I just, I had no purpose, no goals. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And then I found weightlifting as in like Olympic clean and jerk yes. and snatch. Yeah. And because though that just those three movements are so technical, you need to be strong in various areas of your body to be able to do those movements. So now I had a purpose again. And because yeah. it's not based on what you look like, it's based on what you do with your body. It just felt really empowering work on my posture I could work on my strength and even though it increases like one kilogram at a time it's my journey and it goes as fast or as slow as I want it to I don't have to compete with anyone else there's so much there isn't there about comparisons with others you know so many standards beauty standards body image standards are dictated to by social media unfortunately these days people want to aspire I think that's how they should look um, you know, as human beings, that good old herd instinct, we want to be like everyone else doing what everyone else is doing. Um, what I've really learned from you today is that, you know, coming back to the essence of who you are, and I, and I absolutely love and I'm starting to see more of this in social media, that fitness isn't about a certain size, you know, how you look at health, well-being and fitness, and that actually there could be so many people walking around that might look to the human eye that they're really fit and healthy who could be 
having eating disorders and revising that absolutely and coming back so there's something about values that I've taken from today about you know why you want to do what you want to with your body but also off the back of the pandemic if it's also okay to say as a psychologist I've worked with lots and lots of people over the last few years about how you can do movement and a lot of people have roadblocks about the word fitness health gym it can sometimes create a physical response when you think of that is that actually you know moving your body can take so many different forms Mm. Um, and actually sometimes that's where you can find better goals and and that maybe align with your values that you might not be a a runner or a (laughs) weightlifter but you might want to now actually yes this is what I do with my my own body now and I've actually started doing it for work so I perform with fire right and it was one of my lockdown skills I was going to do two things one of them was get a clarinet right yeah <laughs> and it didn't happen at the time so I got fans instead and these are fans that you hold with your hands there's like yes. a, a loop that you put your hands through and they have beautiful covers on them so you can create loads of like patterns and choreography with just wow. the covers on but yes. without the covers they actually have five wicks but you can dip in fuel and you can set them alight and I have had um, some performing experience before doing burlesque. And a lot of the people in burlesque moved on to do fire. So it kind of brought that into my How interesting. Um, yes. into my mind, which I wouldn't have thought about before. And now I've become a fire performer. So I love that because it's something that I get to do with my body. I'm also doing it for work, which is awesome, doing something that I enjoy. Yes, yeah. Um, and then the other things that I do is kung fu and Chinese lion dancing. So we're about to have Chinese New Year, 22nd of January, and I will be on the streets of Liverpool inside a lion, either the head or the tail. And again, that's something which is just amazing. And it's the story of the person inside the lion. I've actually transitioned my book. My my book's for young adults and it's about body confidence. But I want to tell the story of how this young person's inside a lion. And because she can't be seen for her body, she can just be whoever she wants to be and she doesn't realize how great she is until she sees this other lion and thinks they're amazing and then realize when she lifts the lion's head that it's actually her reflection wow so I want this penny drop moment to happen when people read the book that you are the amazing person regardless of what you look like on the outside so it's kind of like all of these things have come together now so I really feel on purpose with with my passion yeah it's all just come together the movement of my body being able to be creative be my true authentic self help people with the fitness and the mindset and and I am living and breathing what I teach people that enjoyment so this podcast obviously when it goes out isn't visual so people won't be able to see what I can see and just watching your face as you're talking about this I wish people could see that <laughs> um, but you, you know you were talking about enjoyment and that sometimes when we have that connection and we're doing something that we enjoy as you say you know it doesn't have to necessarily be always in a gym or running or doing you know these prescriptive things that moving your body and I'm wondering whether maybe we should do actually is in the show notes is maybe we'll put a link if you've got videos <laughs> to you doing your um your definitely fire. yeah I just think that would be absolutely fantastic fantastic for people so one of the things that we've been talking about is that your just your history what you've been through the kind of continual revision of what you do and I imagine you have to be a little bit vulnerable to say actually do you know what I'm moving into this now this is where I'm at is that you've started to put all this together in in a book haven't you do you want to tell us a little bit about that because you're hoping to get this published aren't you yeah so that's the book that has transitioned into the girl the young adult who is inside the lion So it's a personal development book. It involves some journaling and some interaction with the book and your own self-reflection. Right. There's also a story mode. 
So the same way people who do gaming understand that there's the interactive game and then there's the story yes. mode. Yes. I wanted the book to be a little bit like that. Right. Yeah. It's why it's kind of a hybrid book. So I need someone to see my vision and to be understand that there is two parts to the book because I think a lot of publishers either go with uh, picture books or written books and right. mine is obviously both. I want people to go through the story with the girl in the lion and then reflect on their own life. And as we go through the story mode, these are the levels. It's like levels of consciousness because yes. I want them to awaken and realize they were that amazing person in the lion all along. It sounds quite therapeutic, actually, that journey. And I'm kind of thinking as well, you know, for somebody who maybe goes through that process and works through your book, what are you hoping that they'll get at the end from that? I want them to realize that they are amazing and that they can do anything regardless of what they look like. And I put at the beginning of the book who inspired me. It was my daughter at age 10 running around the house naked because I thought we all did that. Whatever age it was, we all ran around the house naked. We didn't care what we looked like. We were just free and liberated and we owned it. Yes. And at some point something happens, whether it be society, your environment, whatever, we start looking at ourselves with judgment, comparing ourselves to others. So I wanted that book to be for that age group so they can continue to run around and be free and just not care what they look like. So this is aimed at younger people. And I'm wondering at that age, just catching that element of being okay, you know, loving yourself, being just really congruent, you know, this is what I am. This is how I display myself. And I'm wondering whether, you know, if there are publishers listening, whether we can then put your details about the book in the show notes so that people yeah that would be awesome reach out <laughs> for you I, I think I, I love this idea and that's very you isn't it then that this book's really hybrid you know it's not a book that has to go into this preconceived mold because that's exactly. it doesn't sound like yeah. it would work if it wasn't in the format that I'm you a bit of a rebel yeah which I absolutely love um I absolutely love that and I'm thinking you know if people want to find out a little bit more about you where can they find out about all the great things that you do um, I'm most active on Instagram. Right. Okay. So my Instagram is at body underscore confidence and the number's 22. Right. I love Instagram because it's like a, a photo album for myself yes. <laughs> that I can share with the world. Um, but I am also on Twitter at she Nicola. I'll put all of this in the show. Yeah, I may, need to, I may need to double check that and give that to you later. <laughs> but I am Twitter, LinkedIn, all the normal social medias, but mostly Instagram. And you have a website, which is really great, isn't it? Because it has sections on your history, your story, people have been able to find out a bit more about you as well as what you offer. Um, And you offer um, new linguistic programming as well, don't you? Is that something you want to tell us a little bit about? We can find out more. The mindset work that I do is in my body confidence course. So that's the course I created in lockdown. It's a 12 week course and it has topics that we go through every week. So we either do it as a group or one-to-one and we have a live session together and then they go right. off and do journaling exercises on their own. So that's something that people can then read more about on, on your website. And yeah. actually, I quite like that model that they can do that in a group or a one-to-one, I guess, depending on where they're at with their own confidence. And Yeah. Um, I mean, group work is really powerful. Yeah, so like it really it can be. seems to work out that the right people are together at the right time. Yes. And they all hold you accountable and you all journey together. That kind of fit as you say as well and I think sometimes it could be really useful to hear other people's stories as well and to feel like you're going through something with someone else as well now every guest that comes on I always like to ask them we've had so many fantastic nuggets but if there's one 
bit of advice you can give one adversity takeaway that's my kind of signature move <laughs> that you can give us what might that be advice um well the thing that popped up as you said that it's not a piece of advice but it's a quote that I'm now coining right <laughs> and I just had a whole month away in Thailand and so this was my quote that I created if it's an experience the answer is yes I love that. I absolutely love that. I might put that as a title for this episode. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I would, Thanks there's so many me. guests that come on that you, there's almost too much to just fit <laughs> in one episode that often we have little offshoots, but I would love to have you back on again at some point if you would be up for that. Um, Cause I'd really, like to look at, I'd really like to look at some of these concepts in more detail. As you say, this is fairly new podcast so I kind of cast the net wide when people are talking but what I really love to do is then to kind of funnel it and maybe focus on some of those things more individually in episodes which I think would be fantastic so I'll put everything in the show notes so people can find you and find out a bit more um and please any publishers or people that know publishers that are listening please go and find out a little bit more um about Nicola's idea for her book um because I think that needs to be out there it really does so thank you so much for coming on thanks for having me Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintrillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist podcast, helping you step at a time.